0: May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. fourth Sunday in Eastertide is often called Good Shepherd Sunday. The Gospel reading for the day is always one of these passages from the Gospel according to John, in which Jesus uses language of sheep and shepherd to describe his work and his ministry. It's comforting, assuring language. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's particularly comforting when it's heard in light of the 23rd Psalm, of setting of which we'll sing following the sermon. There's nothing wrong with language of comfort and assurance. Quite the contrary, such language is very much a part of our biblical mother tongue. And while some of the more sentimental and more pious paintings of Jesus as the good shepherd might not be quite to my tastes, you know the ones with a very, very clean-looking shepherd and some very, very clean and happy-looking sheep, for all that, Jesus as good shepherd remains a good image and an image of comfort. I love how Jenny Moore works with the image in her song, Bound Up, a song she recorded for us several years ago, just prior to her move to England. Where She writes, This flock is groaning something bad. We're so good at turning back, but we'll be bound up. We'll be strengthened. We'll all be fed and we'll be found. This flock is hurting something bad. We're wandering out in this barren land. Hallelujah, 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 we'll be found. It's a great song. It's a great setting. Yet as comforting as it would have been for the disciples to hear Jesus speak of his sheep as being protected, as already being in the hands of the Father, As presented here in John, the image moves well beyond themes of simple assurance. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem, John tells us, and he's not just marking out a timeline. It's winter, he continues, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. It was the festival of the dedication or what in our time is called Hanukkah. This was the feast commemorating events from 165 before Christ, when Judas Maccabeus led the Jewish revolutionary movement that rose up against enemy occupation and against all odds defeated them, reclaimed Jerusalem, cleansed and rededicated the temple, and for the people of Jesus' time, less than 200 years later, again living under enemy occupation, the Feast of the Dedication then was kind of loaded with significance. For some at least, marking this festival meant celebrating a hope that maybe a similar revolution could be mounted to expel the occupying Roman army to reclaim Jerusalem and Judea as a free state. Others, though, would have been far more circumspect. The temple was still under Jewish control, and all of its practices were still allowable, still in place. Maybe it was better to simply cooperate with the Romans, focus then on matters religious, strike a kind of a bargain. It's not always an easy balance to maintain, but what were the real options when you're faced with occupation by the Roman military machine? So it's in that context that John tells us, The Jews gathered round Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now one of the recurring issues in John's story is the identity of those he just labels as the Jews. After all, Jesus is a Jew. All of his disciples are Jewish. With the exception of those characters specified as being either Samaritan or Roman, basically everybody in the gospel story is Jewish. So when John uses the term the Jews, he's really pointing to the Jewish leadership. The official temple leaders, certainly, but also the unofficial community leaders. Those who would have had kind of moral clout. The Pharisees, for instance. Those who had settled into that posture of, it's not collaboration, but it's careful cooperation with the Roman occupiers. So the commentator John Marsh suggests that their question, how long will you keep us in suspense, might best be read as, how long will you vex, trouble, and annoy us in this way? You're getting dangerously close to upsetting this delicate balance with the Romans, Jesus. You and your growing movement are going to attract attention, and that can't be good for anyone. Jesus answered, I have told you, But you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. Now, there are two points of offense here to his audience. The first one more obvious than the second. First of all, he tells them that the works he is doing are in my Father's name, by which Jesus makes a claim about his relationship to God that's going to make their blood boil. Nobody claims God as my Father. Not in that way. He also scandalizes them or troubles them by invoking the language of sheep and, by inference, shepherd. Though we may not recognize it right away, there's a long scriptural tradition of associating shepherd and king. The great King David, certainly. But the same image appears in the Psalms and the writings of the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah. Think about that for a minute. On a festival day that commemorates a revolutionary victory, in the temple that symbolized that revolutionary victory, Jesus invokes imagery that has powerful associations with kingship. So tell us, Jesus, how long will you vex, trouble, and annoy us in this way? He gets more troublesome yet. As he reaches his concluding statement that the Father and I are one, nobody says that. And had we read on just a bit further, you would have heard that his statement, the Father and I are one, is followed by that audience beginning to pick up stones with which to stone him to death. Yet, as the gospel narrative rolls forward toward its culmination, and as Jesus continues to unveil the peculiar nature of his shepherding kingship, it becomes clear that what should have most troubled his audience was not that he might be a revolutionary claimant to the throne, nor that he held this rather unsettling, maybe blasphemous theology of oneship or kinship with God. What should have really troubled them is how he understood his shepherding kingship. In Jesus, true kingship means self-giving. Self-giving love, servanthood, deep friendship, and a willingness to lay down one's life for others, his sheep embrace this vision, this vision that he leaves them with of servanthood and self-giving and deep friendship, which is actually at the heart of the gospel according to John, or they embrace it as best they can because they all come with the same kind of baggage that we do. But as N.T. Wright notes, many do not. Many do not embrace this vision that Jesus offers because they are hell-bent on a vision of the age to come which will be attained through the establishment of a worldly kingdom. In the first century Jewish world, Wright continues, the phrase eternal life meant primarily The life of the age to come, the new age in which wrongs would be righted, sins forgiven, and God would be all in all. That is what Jesus was claiming to offer. That's the thing his hostile audience, those who excluded themselves from being named sheep, couldn't stand. Back to Jenny Moore's song for just a minute. Her poetic assertion that we'll be bound up, we'll be strengthened, we'll all be fed, and we'll be found, in some real sense echoes Jesus' words from today's gospel, words that would have been most treasured by John and the other disciples who first heard them. Namely, no one will snatch my sheep from my hand. They're safe. Some days such things can seem a bold assertion of confident faith based in experience. Some days we feel bound up, we feel strengthened, we feel fed and found and secure. Other days, those words sound more like an expression of a rather more desperate hope. Because on those days it might feel like we're not being much bound up not being much carried or strengthened or fed or found, just kind of alone and struggling. That's when it's crucial to remember how Jesus challenged his followers to be his body, be his people, to do it through deep friendship. Again, he values friendship in a way that's remarkable. And to do it through mutual servanthood, That's how we embody the presence of the shepherd king in the here and now, by befriending and serving and giving over into the lives of each other in all of our complexities and with all of our wounds. Yes, Jesus promises that we'll be accompanied by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, who will be for us comforter, advocate, and guide. Yet all of those words, those words around the Spirit and those words of servanthood and of friendship and of self-giving, they all remain thin if we imagine that the Spirit is there for my personal comfort, my personal growth, or that the Good Shepherd is there to be my Good Shepherd and mine alone, or mine in a little bubble, no You see, in this peculiar flock, the sheep are meant to learn from the shepherd how to bind up broken hearts, how to seek out, find, support, and strengthen the lost, which is all of us at some points. We are called to be sheep of the good shepherd, but also to learn from him and be his presence to each other and in the world. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.